All right, let's do this. Let's just, I know we've already prayed and prayed and we prayed, but let's pray again. I want to pray just our hearts are focused and ready to receive the word of God this morning. So uh, bow with me if you will. Uh, Father, we're getting ready to open up your holy word that according to your word was breathed out by you. And it's profitable to teach us and to train us and to correct us and to rebuke us, Lord, and, and our hearts need all of the above. And Lord, I pray that as we step into this, this topic this morning, um, that the focus will be on Jesus and the focus will be on your gospel and nothing else and no one else. Lord, we are all fallen and broken and we have sinned against you and our only hope is the grace and the mercy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, whoever speaks on Sunday mornings, our only hope is that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to speak to the hearts of men. Lord, may my words in the flesh fall to the ground. May only what is of you remain. Challenge us and change us and help us to really focus on your Word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been here for a bit. I'm sure you're aware of the realia of food and drink. It's a teaching tool, and we're looking at the book of Luke, and we're seeing how Jesus has used food and drink to use it as a, as a tool of revealing himself or revealing truth uh, to individuals. Last week, quick, quick recap, uh, we, we did a lot of things. One thing that we did was we looked at these four quadrants of interaction with unbelievers. This was kind of like a, a throw-in at the end you know, as I was preparing, I didn't like throw this into the notes until like literally like two days before. And um, I wanted to go back to this real quickly uh, because like last week's sermon was not focused on this passage and walking through each one of these. All I was trying to do was to show when it comes to having interaction with unbelievers, sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we struggle because we're just not living right. That's not on mission. Sometimes we're just intolerant of their sins. Sometimes we're fearful because we're afraid of that which we don't understand, so we don't engage them. And then there's people that are on mission, and this is what we see in Jesus. So my only point in bringing that up is to show that Christ was always, somebody says, hey, come into you know, my house, and, and I want you to come you know, to eat. He's like, okay. It could be a Pharisee. It could be you know, someone who's just broken. You know, it could be anyone, and the Lord's just looking at these opportunities because, of course, he was on mission, right? And our, our goal is, as we're going through this series, not just to be enlightened and say, oh, this is good, that was a good teaching, I better understand. It's so that we can take these teaching tools and we can apply them in our lives on a regular basis and basically get uncomfortable for the gospel's sake, okay? So that, that's where we're headed. We also... Um, looked at the, you know, a, lot, a couple of truths, I said a lot, but there's three, and this was the main one, uh, the, to the degree to which we do or do not love, forgive, show thankfulness, display hospitality, and worship the Lord lies in direct correlation to our understanding as to the depth to which he, we comprehend our sins being forgiven. Basically, what is coming out of us on a regular basis, if it's love and peace and joy and tolerance and, um, and patience, you know, I already said patience with people. It's just the fruits of the Spirit. It's because we understand what Jesus has done for us. Um, so that was one of the key truths, and we saw that with the lady washing Jesus' hair, and the Pharisee was like, what are you doing? She's a sinner. Don't you realize that? It was a great passage, a lot of uh, good takeaways there. We could have spent a couple of weeks on that one passage, but it is time uh, to move on. So 
introduction for today, we're going to look at um, food and drink again, but we're not going to look at the Lord stepping in and receiving a meal. This time, he is the host, and he is going to feed 5,000 plus individuals. And this is a passage that we're going to walk through through the book of Luke, but to better understand what's happening in this passage, you have to understand the, the context. So what the context is, this is the only miracle, here's a, 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 a trivia thing, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. I didn't know that. I didn't recognize, realize that. So I went back and I studied each one of the accounts of the feeding of the 5,000, and here's what you learn, a couple of things. One, John the Baptist had just been beheaded, okay? John the Baptist had been beheaded. Jesus just gets this information, and Jesus is grieving. So you look at that. So that's, that's important for us to understand. Second thing, Jesus had just sent out the 12 disciples, and he told them, go on mission, don't take much with you. And it's, it's, it's a story within itself. You can go back and read it, but they had just gotten back. So they were like learning from the Lord, they were walking with the Lord, and he's like, okay, now I've been teaching you, now I want you to see it in real life, I want you to go. So he sends out the 12, they just got back, so there's that. They are so excited about everything that's happened, and they're like, oh Lord, you, know, you won't believe what all happened, and of course he knew, right? And he's like, that's great. He said, but let's do this. He said, let's come away for a while, and let's go to this desolate, desolate place, and let's rest. Okay, so there's this next thing that we see is this happened. They just got back, and now they're getting ready to go on just this retreat for a couple of days, just to rest. Um, the book of, um, where is it? It's in Mark. It says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. So that's the, con the context of what's happening here. And then, boom, they're going away for a retreat, and 5,000-plus individuals show up. So that's context. Today we're going to look at two truths. We're going to ask two questions. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's jump into the Word of God. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. It's in your worship guide if you do not have your Bible. So they're coming back. And on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cure, cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Verse number 13. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people for there were about 5,000 men and he says to his disciples have them sit down in groups of about 50 each and they did so and he had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Before we even jump into the sermon, this is one of my literally 2.30 a.m. thoughts from last night. I'm just laying there, and I'm sleeping a little bit, and then I wake up and I start thinking about this passage. But this says that there was 5,000 men. Again, this is just kind of extra. But I'm like, what would that have looked like today? 
I think it would have been like 4,000 women and a couple of men here and there. It's just this charge, this challenge to us men that are here hearing this message this morning that we need to be seeking Jesus. And we need to do it before our families in a way that our wives see it and our kids see it. It doesn't have to be perfect, but they need to see us as the spiritual leaders of our home. I just hadn't seen that in the passage this morning before and I was like yeah I wonder what what that would have looked like today I think that sometimes we abdicate our responsibility to lead and we need to do a better job with that okay aunt Brenda Bishop y'all don't know Brenda Bishop well actually some of you may she worked at Texas Instruments she lived in Carter County her whole life this was Cammie's aunt and when she and I were dating this is where we went when we didn't know where else to go you know, if you didn't have any money, you didn't have, you know, anything to do or whatever, you just go over to Aunt Brenda's house, and she will always welcome you in. And I look back on it, and I think about how rude we were so many times that we would enter into her home. Because we would be coming out of a movie, let's say at 11 o'clock at night, and it would be like, we've got like an hour. Let's go by Brenda's. We would go knocking on the door, literally get them out of the bed. And she would always say, come on in. It didn't matter if they were in their PJs or what. It was just fascinating. I think about the number of times that we went to her house, always a smile on her face, and she always welcomed us. Even when I proposed to my wife, you ever want to hear that story, ask my version, not Cammie's version, but I proposed to her at the covered bridge on my knee, and she said yes, and we got up, and we didn't even think about it. It was like, let's go to Brenda's house. So we go to Brenda's house at, you know, 1030 at night on a Saturday night, and we let her know. Then we let Cammie's family know, and then we let my family know. But Brenda was the very first person that we told. She was welcoming. I hope you have a Brenda Bishop in your life, um, because they're just a blessing. You go into their home, and you feel like that you yourself are at home. Now, I think about Brenda, and then I contrast that with me. I am an on-task, agenda-driven person. My days and my slots are scheduled. If you look at my calendar, you will laugh. It is color-coded. Praying, exercising, reading, meetings, planning, studying, and everything. Everything has a spot, okay? And there are certain days, Tuesdays, that are much more holy than other days. Days that there should not be interruptions. I tell the guys in the church sometimes, if you're going to do something stupid, don't do it on a Tuesday. You can't mess with me on a Tuesday because I'm deep. I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm studying and I'm preparing. And I can be the most terrible host when I am interrupted. A couple weeks ago, my parents showed up at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday. I don't know what they were thinking. They just showed up right? And Cammie, you know, wasn't there, or maybe she was, I don't remember, but it's like, you know, they just decided to come hang out with us for a while. Hey, we just got back from North Carolina, we thought we would drop by, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm working on sermon today. I didn't say that, but that's kind of what it felt like. And sometimes in my life, even in the mornings, I remember when I was young, and I would be in the mornings, you know, your prayer time, and the kid would come interrupt me in my prayer time, and I would just be rude to them. What an idiot. You know, you think about like the number of times that you're supposed to be like technically on mission and reading the word of God, praying to the Lord, and someone interrupts you. And the thing that comes out of your heart is not very nice. And then afterward, I would go back and I would say things like, I'm so sorry, I was just trying to work on, or I'm so sorry, it was just a hard meeting that I came from, and I was just thinking about, you know, whatever. Um, Or I was trying to get my mind ready for this meeting that I was getting ready to step into. And all of those are, are excuses. 
right? It's just rudeness. You know, I was rude, but here's why. I wasn't hospitable, but here's why. I wasn't very compassionate in that moment, but here's why. Just lame, lame excuses. So what's coming out of me in those moments is nothing but me, and it's not the fruits of the Spirit. Let's contrast that with what we see from the Lord in this passage. Let's look at it again. 9, 10, and 11. Remember, context is important. Jesus is grieving They're tired, they're headed to retreat, and on their way to retreat, 5,000 plus individuals start following him and they show up. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. He took them and withdrew to Bethsaida. The crowds learned it, they followed, and look, he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured all of those who had need of healing. He's tired. He's grieving. I wouldn't have handled that well at all. If you go to Mark's account, it says, He saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were all like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? It says he welcomed them. He welcomed them. What a powerful word. Just that word, welcome. I know Luke's here, and Brandon's here, and JR's here, so I'll botch this. Apodecami, apodecami, is one of those. It means to accept, to acknowledge, to recognize, to think about favorably, to receive, or accept gladly. Tired and grieving Jesus had compassion on the crowd. They look like sheep without a shepherd. He set aside his own agenda and weaknesses, and he chose to remain on mission, kingdom-focused, to accept and acknowledge and to think favorably of and gladly receive this crowd that had barged in on retreat time. He welcomed them. That's what he does. Ask, seek, knock. Just keep on seeking, keep on asking. The Lord says there's never a bad time to come before him. And he didn't just welcome them. He backed up his welcoming with his actions because he healed everyone that was in the crowd. I love that. I couldn't get away from that. So as I wrestled with that in my own heart and confessed my own rudeness and stupidity, you know how the word of God does that to us sometimes, I just decided to turn this one into our truth number one. Truth number one, this is in your worship guide if you'd like to fill in the blanks. Jesus' kingdom focus and compassion for people was shown by his hospitality and his welcoming of them even at inconvenient times, even on a Tuesday. Jesus' kingdom focus and compassion for people was shown by his hospitality and his welcoming of them even at inconvenient times. And some of us are not very good with this. My wife and I are not good with this. We, we realized this about a decade ago, and uh, the Word of God tells us to practice hospitality. So we said, let's just start practicing. Let's just start doing it more. So we started doing that. And there was one, um, I can't remember, it may have even been Abby Mitchell, who is now Abby Owen. But there was, oh, she was in my community group. I think it was you, Abby. And there was one night, we were at community group in my home, and it was either Abby Mitchell or Matt, Abby McKinnis looked at us and said, you all are like the most hospitable people we've ever met. 
And Cammie and I just started laughing. We were like, you have no idea. We really stink at this, but we have fooled you well. And it was like, it's okay, just practice it. Just the more you do it, the more you will get at it. So here's our question number one that goes along with truth number one. What can I, what can you, what can I learn from Jesus regarding hospitality or about being more welcoming or maybe being compassionate or remaining on kingdom schedule instead of my own schedule? You know, there's a lesson here. Everybody's at a different place when, when they receive the word of God. What's the lesson that the Lord might be wanting to show you? And the key isn't just do better. The key is for the Spirit of Christ to live within us, for us to abide in the vine in such a way that my agenda is secondary and my kingdom focus is primary because the Lord Jesus is truly living through me. To have compassion on people. To be okay with being interrupted. To truly welcome them which means to enjoy them, which means to listen to them and to laugh with them and to maybe be used to minister to them. You know, what would that look like? Some of you guys, I'm sure, do an amazing job of that, and sometimes I just don't. We've got to work on that. Take my pencil or whatever and put it down. You know, close my laptop, move to another seat, look at them and listen because there's usually something that's there that the Lord's wanting me to hear, but I'm like, I wish they'd hurry because I need to get back to my agenda. Sometimes we can be so, so rude. Let's continue with our passage. 9, 12 through 14. Now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said, what are we going to do? Look at all these people. And Jesus says, give them something to eat. They only have a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes, and Jesus says, give them something to eat. So the first thing to take note of here is that the day began to wear away. I mean, I could see me in this situation. All right, that was a fun evening. Now, where did you put your coat? Let me see if I can find your coat. I think you put it here somewhere. You know, and you're trying to like, you know, shovel, you know, shove people you know, out the door. Jesus didn't do that. That's what the disciples felt like. They're like, my stomach's growling. I know their stomachs are growling. Let's send them to the villages because we need to eat. We need to get back to retreat. And the Lord's like, no, just go ahead and give them something to eat. And obviously he was going to be teaching them a lesson. But we're back to the realia, the teaching tool of food and drink. And the Lord is getting ready to use this opportunity to teach them some very, very important things. So Jesus turns things, as he often does, on their heads and says, no, you give them something to eat. So the disciples are wanting to send them away, but Jesus sees the crowd, and in one of the Gospels, they took inventory, so they saw how much food that they had. So the stage was set for Jesus to do a couple of things. So for one, the table set for 5,000-plus individuals, and Jesus is showing his cards, and he is revealing himself as Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. There's no doubt now who this is. Hebrews 2 says that Jesus bore witness to the salvation that he brought by signs and wonders and various miracles. And they're about to see one here. So that's the first thing. Jesus is revealing himself to this crowd. And second, Jesus is about to teach the disciples an important lesson about 
kingdom multiplication, with he alone being the provider. Most of us know this passage. Some of us may not, but if you don't, go look at it sometime. In Genesis 22, the story is told of Abraham being sent by God, and God commands Abraham to go to the land of Moriah and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. So Abraham obeyed. He went, and he was preparing the sacrifice, and Isaac, his son, asked him, where was the lamb that was to be used for the sacrifice? And Abraham replied, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Just before he was about to sacrifice Isaac, God halted him and showed Abraham and Isaac a ram that was caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham offered up the ram as a burnt sacrifice. And in verse number 14, it says this. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Which being translated is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, one of the many names given to God in the word of God. We don't have time to do so, but you can go all throughout scripture. You can go from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and over and over and over, the Lord shows that he alone is all-powerful, that he alone is the provider, that small armies can, can just obliterate large armies if the Lord is a part of that. His grace is sufficient for his power is perfected in our weaknesses. Paul learned this even with his own thorn to learn to, to, to relish, to cherish these moments when we're weak because then we know that we're not going to get the credit. Only Jesus will get the credit. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider, and that's what he does here. Look at it, 15 through 17. So they did so, and he had them all sit down, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the crowd, and they all ate. And remember a couple of weeks ago when Sam preached, they were satisfied. There's that word again. They were satisfied. It was enough. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. I mean, Wow. You read this story, it's like a lot of other miracles that we see in Jesus. It's even like at, at, um, at Easter time. You know, we read about Jesus, yeah, he was dead, and then he rose from the dead, and then we kind of move beyond that, and we don't think about the magnitude of what's happening. Jesus just miraculously fed 5,000-plus individuals. He is revealing himself in an amazing, amazing way. This isn't just someone who has the gift of healing. This isn't just some teacher. This is Jesus revealing himself as Emmanuel to the masses, doing the extraordinary, doing the miraculous, showing himself to be Messiah, the Son of God. And he's doing so because he had compassion on these people, despite the fact that he was grieving and that he was tired. He is unchanging, all-powerful, and longs to reveal himself to them and to us as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. It's an important lesson. We won't take time to, to go there, but this is what, at the end, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is saying, I know what you need. 
I know what your needs are, shelter and clothing and food, maybe that's relationships, you know, whatever. I know what your needs are. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be given to you. Why? Because I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the provider. I know what you need. He alone is Jehovah Jireh. But it's lesson two that will lead to our second truth and our second question of the day. For in lesson two, we see Jesus teaching this valuable lesson about kingdom multiplication that I mentioned earlier. There's more going on here than Jesus revealing his power and doing a miracle. Remember, he just sent out the 12. So they were following him, they're learning from him, and then he's sending them out. And then next week, he's going to send out 72, which we are going to look at. And he sends them not with much, but he provides for them all along the way. He tells them what they can and cannot take, and then they come back and they realize that the Lord met every one of their needs along the way. My point being that the Lord isn't just performing a miracle. He is, he is training his disciples for ministry. Ministry that was going to come their way and ministry that comes our way on a regular basis. Once he has resurrected, once he has ascended back into heaven, he has then called them and called us to be his ambassadors and to go and to do likewise. So Jesus is showing the disciples, number one, their responsibility to minister to all people, everyone who comes, no matter what time of the day, no matter how tired we might be, responsible, responsibility number one is that we are ambassadors of Christ. He is making his appeal through us. We must be willing to minister to them. And the second thing Jesus is showing the disciples is that on their own, gosh, don't miss this church, on their own, the disciples are unable to minister to these needs. They're incapable. Jesus told them to feed the 5,000 plus with what little that they had, and they're like, we can't. That's the point. That's what he's trying to show them. There's this wonderful little book here called A Meal with Jesus. I could read the whole thing to you this morning. I don't think you want me to, but there's just one chapter. Listen to this. <clears throat> when it comes right down to it, the disciples can't provide for the people. They have the power of Jesus, but it's his power. They share the ministry of Jesus, but it's his ministry. It's easy for us to play at being Messiah. We want to help, and it's right that we want to show love, and the context demands it, but we need to be careful not to think that we can solve people's problems for them. It's not good for us if we try to save the world. We'll quickly burn out, and it's not good for the people we help. People need to be helped to cope for themselves rather than become reliant upon us. Reliance on us might feed our egos, but it doesn't bring lasting change. But even more importantly, Christ is the Savior, not us. Our role is to point to him. We have responsibility to welcome people, there's that word, welcome people to the messianic, messianic banquet, but we can't bring them in. What we offer people is Jesus. His death is sufficient and complete. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the provider. He is the host of the meal, not us. Such a good reminder. It's always about him, and it is not about us. 
even when I think about like the table that we kind of teach on here and we use as our discipleship um, you know, tool, it's the gospel itself that we're giving away to people. It's not Redstone Elizabethan. It's no individual within the church. It's either Jesus or it's nothing or no one. Sometimes we humans, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Sometimes your pastors, including myself, think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Sometimes we think that we can do some amazing work for the Lord without actually having the Lord do it through us. We can't, and we need to remember that. We need to stop and recognize it's only a few fish and a few loaves. I can't do this, Lord. And then work can be done. I mean, even like this week in various ways, just stark reminders came to me that on my own and in my own strength, all I'll do is mess things up. What people need is the gospel, and they need gospel application. What I really need is Jesus and his power living through me and to learn to yield and to turn things over to him and watch him do what he does, multiply, provide, welcome, and love. The disciples needed to learn this. Jesus doesn't ask that we have all the answers or store up all the provisions that we need for this day when people will come our way. Rather, he asks that we give him whatever we do have. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be the, the faith of a mustard seed. He'll take it. He'll use it. He'll grow it. He'll multiply it for his own purposes. Truth number two, it's in your worship guide. Jesus <clears throat> is the provider. He is the host. He alone is the multiplier. Our responsibility is to yield. That's a great word. To yield all to him and allow him to multiply what we give for his kingdom purposes. He's the provider. He's the host. He alone multiplies our responsibility. Yield. Let him be the multiplier. That leads to an important follow-up question. For you and for me, that I ask that you prayerfully consider this morning, you know your abilities, you know your inabilities, you know your skill set, you know where you've got something that could be used, maybe. What loaves and fish do you and I have that we would just be willing to yield to him? And then the bigger question is, will we in faith do so? about being on kingdom mission, on gospel mission, taking what little that we have, presenting it back to the Lord, and in faith, allowing him to multiply it and to provide so that he and he alone is the one that gets the credit and not us. This is our primary call for the sermon series, to be willing to be uncomfortable for the gospel's sake, to be willing to host, to eat with, associate with, provide for those who are far from him. To be willing to have a meal with them, to have a coffee with them. So let's prayerfully consider that question before us. What do we have? What loaves do I have? 
what fishes do I have? It's this act of faith for our, on our own, we are all just incapable. He says, go, but he's the one that goes with us. He is Jehovah Jireh. The point is, it's all him, and he'll take and multiply whatever we have if we're willing to yield it to him. What a great lesson. There's plenty to chew on here without even needing to pursue, uh, proceed any further, but there's one other little thing I wanted to add. I just couldn't walk away from it. So this is a little um, a PS at the end of our teaching. So look back at our passage, verses 16 through 17. In taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and set before the crowd. And they ate and they were satisfied and they picked up what was left, the 12 baskets of broken pieces. So I want to conclude our teaching today thinking about these nuggets that we can receive in these very few verses about why it's a good thing to give thanks before we eat a meal. I know that's a little bizarre. Sometimes we don't think about that. I've never heard this taught on, but I just... I stayed here, I pondered this, I prayed through this, I thought about this, and I, it's not a requirement. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, if you do not pray before your meal, you will be eating worms, or it will cause you to be sick, or something. There's none of that. This is not religion, right? There's not these rules that we have to keep, which includes um, saying grace before we eat. No, it's deeper than that. It's a good practice to do for multiple reasons. Here's a couple of passages. Matthew 26, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. Same pattern. And when he had said, Acts 27, these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat it. 1 Timothy 4, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So giving thanks is a good thing to do. Let's look at the pattern that we see right here. You can see it in red. He took, he blessed, he broke, and he gave. So there's this taking, this, this blessing and giving back to the Lord, this breaking, then this giving and distributing uh, to people. Just what a great pattern. So there's a couple of simple truths that we can learn and that we can even give to our family when we practice this habit of praying before a meal. So I threw these up here on a slide for you. So giving thanks before a meal reminds us that, and you can probably add others to this, but these are, these are the ones that Jerry came up with. It, can, it reminds us that God is alive because we're bowing to pray to a living God who hears our prayers. It reminds us that we are dependent upon God for everything. If we pay attention, it reminds us that God uses other people to help provide for us and to give thanks to them as well. Thank you for the hands that made this meal. Number four, food is a gift of God. We're going to eat in heaven. We can see that. We know that. We'll learn more about that as we continue with, with the study. But as such, we should take the time just to thank him for this gift. 
And then lastly, friends and family members to share a meal with is also a gift of God. Giving thanks before them reminds them or brings them into his holy, this holy moment before Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. What an easy and simple way to declare that we are his and that he and he alone is Jehovah Jireh by praying with a thankful heart every time we sit down to eat. Side note. Now, if you're one of these people that when it's time to pray for the meal, you pray for every missionary that you know and everybody who's in the hospital and people that are struggling, we just don't need to do that. The Lord will receive that. But there's a time and a season for everything. There's nothing wrong with just saying, God, you've given food. We're acknowledging you. We're thanking you for this food. We're going to break it and we're going to distribute it amongst these people. Ah, so much to be thankful for in this moment. Amen. That in itself can be enough. Take, bless, give thanks, break, and then give or distribute. There's plenty more that we could probably look at from today's passage, such as Jesus himself being the true bread of life given for us, or maybe a discussion regarding the leftovers, the abundance that we have through the Lord, and how this miracle speaks of his provisions, or maybe the 12 basketfuls related to the 12 tri tribes of Israel. There was a, a lot of reading you know, about that as well. There's a lot here, but I don't want us to make it too complicated. I think that the key points are related to the realia, the teaching tool of food and drink. Questions of the hour, where is the Lord speaking to you and to me through these very simple truths this morning? Is it the reminder to be on kingdom time instead of personal time? To be willing to minister even when the hour is late or at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday? Or when your energy level is just really, really low? Or is it the simple reminder just to be compassionate and to be welcoming of people? Or maybe you're like me and you need to be reminded that within myself, I am nothing and therefore should not think so highly of myself. I need the Lord to go before me. I need Jehovah Jireh to reveal himself as God. There is one Messiah and he is not me. Or maybe it's a simple reminder to be thankful, just to be a thankful person. And you can show that by giving grace and by, by giving thanks before a meal as well. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how passages like this speak to you, but I know it's the word of God. I know it doesn't return void. And I know I sure learned a lot, you know, from this. So let's just bow before the Lord for a few minutes and just ask him, what's the lesson or what are the lessons that I need to learn from this passage. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. You are a provider. Even in this moment, you can and will minister to people where they're at. You will welcome them, their prayers, their questions. So please do so.
We've got a few minutes this morning, so <clears throat> let's go ahead and open it up. Sam, you got a mic? Yeah, this is, again, this is not like so much a time to jump into something that we didn't cover or to question, you know, things. Um, you can do that, you know, later. But this is more of here's a stirring or here's a thought or here's another passage. Maybe a word of encouragement, uh, maybe another passage. So if you have one of those this morning, you're hearing something that's spoken to you that you want to share with the body, this is a moment to do so. What do anyone like to share? Good morning. Jane. My name is Jane. This is my husband, Lou. We uh, give thanks today for this church and church body. We are not from here originally. Uh, we live in Ecuador part of the year. We're leaving, and we're going to miss this body of people um, immensely. Luckily, we do have the ability to attend online. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Jerry, and thank you all for welcoming us. Yeah, thank you. Jane and Lou, when y'all leave? Today, this is it. Okay, so you'll be gone. When you'll be back? September, okay. Let's remember Jane and Lou. You'll be watching online and hopefully getting those. You last asked me last week about worship guides. So hopefully we can send those to you as well. Okay. Who else would like to share this morning? We've got Jennifer Vernon. I think when you were sharing, like, why do we pray at the table, it, a verse that came on to my mind that verses in Deut Deuteronomy 6, um, I think it's five, I can't see real good here, um, five through like nine, but where it talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you're at, you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie these symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames at your house and on your gates. And what really got impressed on my heart at a, when my kids were younger was um, to have those conversations all day long. Mm -hmm. And what I found is when we would sit at the table and we'd eat a meal together and we'd pray before we um, ate, it was a conversation to God, um, just talking to him and thanking him. Um, but even when they, we were in larger groups and people with family and stuff and they'd ask for someone to pray, um, my kids went and skip a beat when they were younger to pray and just have a conversation with God. And um, that I'm thankful for because I think it's like you said, it does bring them into a presence with God if we just make that a regular routine, part of our day whether it's at the table or wherever else, where we can have those conversations with the Lord and talk about Him. So it's not like always you feel like it's a set time of the day, that it's a part of every day loving Him with all your heart, soul, and mind. But anyway, I just want to share that because I thought about that. Yeah. You know, that made a difference. And not that we do it every day now because it's real hard with high schoolers, but um, they get after us sometimes because we say, you got to come home, we're going to have dinner together. Because that's just important for us to do that so many times a week. And to have that time that we can talk about those. And a lot of spiritual things are brought up at the table. So it's cool. Yeah. I just wanted to share that. Yeah, nice. That was cool. Good stuff. Thank you, Jennifer. 
you so much. Anyone else? Get Luke back in the back. I just wanted to mention, um, I thought it was pretty cool when you mentioned the word welcoming as, a, as an idea of bringing people in, which I know I struggle with. For, I'm the same way as you, Jerry. Agenda kind of drives my day. Um, but the word welcome, uh, I won't get too into the details here, but it's a pretty cool verb that has a, an implication of not just welcoming them for their benefit, but you receive a benefit from it as well by the way that that verb tense kind of plays mm -hmm. out. So just a reminder to us all that like we, we are also blessed by the way that we allow people into our lives. Not, it's not just a, a way to bless others. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a reception that also get, grants people um, a chance to bless you. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I can't think of the number of times that I've stepped into a coffee meeting thinking that I had something to give and then turned around and say, said to myself, I think the Lord just spoke to me through this other individual that I thought I was going to bless. Anyone else? We've got um, a pastor friend, you know, Mike Lauren. Um, Josh is actually here somewhere this morning. His son, yeah, there you are. Um, when, when I'll eat with him, he always does this thing with the waiter or the waitress, and he'll just say, hey, we're getting ready to like say thanks over our, our meal. Before we do so, is there anything in particular that we can pray with you about or pray for you about? And I've watched that on a couple of occasions where people have been like, well, actually, you know, and then they share something. So there is even an opportunity to love people well, even in that moment, by just asking a simple question. Like, how often does someone come up to you and say, hey, I'm getting ready to pray anyway. Anything I can pray for you about, you know, so I love that. Okay, Sam, let's step into time of communion, being reminded that there, there is a body of Christ that is a part of this, that is the, the bread as well.